Hi, this is Steve. When John and I sat down to discuss Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, we were pretty sure it would end up being a two-parter. But our plan was still to record the whole thing in one night. What we didn't expect was just how intense and emotionally draining an evening discussing Vertigo was going to be. By the time we got to the halfway point, we were absolutely wiped out. The fact that we were recording after both of us had had brutally long days probably had something to do with it, but it's also just the nature of the film. So we decided to stop there, rest, and regroup before tackling part two, and I'm so glad we did, because those extra few days between recordings allowed us to dig even deeper into this powerful and disturbing film. So, if you still haven't checked out Vertigo, I recommend a visit to cinephiles.net to buy or stream the movie before coming back on Friday to hear our well-rested discussion of this Hitchcock masterpiece, only on The Cinephiles. You're looking for the suit that she wore for me. You want me to be dressed like her. Judy, I just want you to look nice. I know the kind of a suit that'll look well on you. No, I won't do it. Judy, it can't make that much difference to you. I just want to see what you No, I don't want any clothes. I don't want anything. I want to get out of here. Judy, do this for me. Hello, and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we continue our month of Hitchcock with our exploration of the film Vertigo. Is that the Vertigo music? I, I try to do as close as possible. It's very melodramatic. I mean, it's hard to, for one man to bring up the full orchestra of Bernard I mean, Herman. It is really. I mean, hard. that is a powerful. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a tough one to live up to. <laughs> um, so when we left uh, Vertigo, um, yeah. Jimmy Stewart, he had Scotty had just made the incredible choice of saying rather than just following this one, mm-hmm. I think I should go with her. And and then they and they went to this. These beautiful trees. Yeah. And then they went to this ocean, and next to the cresting waves as they embrace each other, they kiss. They made out. What the yeah. kids say nowadays, they made out. Is, Is that, that what the kids, kids say? <laughs> I don't know what the kids say nowadays. You and I are a long <laughs> way true. from the kids. Hookup when, used to mean something completely different when I was uh, younger. When I was in college, we people got together. Mm. Oh, they got together. Oh, did you hear they got together? Got together. And I remember, I remember when I it switched, and I was a little behind the times, and yeah. heard hooked up, hooked up. Oh, it's oh, it's hooked up. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably four or five things since then. Oh yeah, I I, I, I know we gotta get into the movie, <laughs> but like uh, I found this article that has all these phrases now for dating that never used to be there, the ghosting. Uh, benching, benching is a new one now. Handcuffing is another one, <laughs> and uncuffing is another one. Okay, and there's another version of ghosting, but when they still hang around, it's haunting. They call it haunting, haunting. now. Well, so, do, that sounds like it might apply to the vertigo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that because when you ghost is obviously when you just disappear on someone, right? And haunting is when you disappear, but then you still like monitor their social media and occasionally like something of theirs or watch an Instagram video of theirs, even though you've stopped talking or dating that person. So one could say that Judy is going to clearly ghost yes. Jimmy Stewart. Well, yeah. And if he had the the means, the method, the mm-hmm. social networks, he would certainly be haunting her. That's for sure. That's for sure. I think this has brought rare new insight <laughs> into Vertigo. Thank you all into my movie. That's the best Hitchcock I've got. <laughs> It's better than anything I could do. He's a t- he's a very strange voice. Yes, he does. Um, so uh, after this big romantic kiss, which is deeply troubling, with the swelling music, I mean, it yeah. is big. Yeah, 
we end up back with Midge, yeah. who's painting. Mm-hmm. And apparently she sent out, like, left a note under his door, and he's gotten the sense, like, something urgent. Um, and, and and she's been trying to get him on the phone. She can't find him, and she's asking him, like, what have you been doing? Yeah. And he tells her the same thing that he's been saying to Madeline. Mm, just wandering. And, and he's trying to go, like, well, what is it you what, – what's the desperate urge to see me? And she's like, no, it's not desperate. I just figure if I could see you, then you might buy me dinner and take me to a movie. <laughs> In other words, she wants a date. Yes. But she really wants more than that. Yeah. She's got a whole plan going on. She wants to hook up. Well, but she's also got her scheme Get together, yeah. for how – because I think it's, she also wants some revenge. Yeah. I mean, she's got a thing that she – what she has been doing has not been like – easy. Mm-hmm. She has spent a lot of time because what we see is she, she's by, behind an easel and she goes, oh, I'm back to my first love, which is painting, which he's happy for mm-hmm. because, you know, it's got to be something better than drawing underwear. Yeah. And then she says... But I'm really excited about this. What is it? Still alive? No, no, not exactly. You want to see? Mm, yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I thought I might give it to you. And he gets up and he walks over and there on the easel is a fairly skilled portrait of Midge's face on the Carlotta p- portrait. Yeah. There's a lot that's wrong with what's going on here. There's a lot of messed up people in this movie, man. Really? What do you think happened here? I So Midge's, Midge followed him. Yes, clearly. She saw For Madeline. longer than we thought. Yes. And we don't know how long. Yeah. She saw Madeline leaving in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. believes that he's sleeping with Madeline, yep. has knows about the Carlotta story because she was at the bookstore, mm-hmm. has obviously gone to the portrait gallery because earlier when he talked about how pretty she was, she says, like, I got to see that portrait. Yeah. It's not – it takes a while to paint a painting. Mm-hmm. And she's put her face in it. Mm-hmm. By the way, I should say – they did a the art department did a beautiful job doing a less skilled version of the exact same painting. Right. right. You know, like you because that's what you have to do. Yeah. To make a what does she think is gonna happen? Right. That's the thing. It's so weird. But she is mirroring what he's doing to a degree as well, which is stalking someone that yes. doesn't exist. Her version of Scotty does not exist. She thinks that she can like Kind of, if she keeps coming after him, he's going to give in to her eventually and they'll be together. Wow. And so putting herself in that picture is her way of saying, I can be what you want to desire as well. I can be what is like troubling you or what you think is your version of beautiful. And it's such a clumsy, awkward, yet sad uh, attempt to be uh, uh, the one that he chooses because she thinks he is this incredible great guy but in fact he isn't and that's why what i mean by the illusion of who scotty is okay so i want to put aside something the second thing you said okay and <clears throat> focus on the first thing because you just blew my mind <laughs> i think what you said is because she is chasing someone who doesn't exist yeah i think that is so profound because obviously that's what jimmy stewart's doing yeah. throughout the film but in a way because you just that just really hit me because that's what we all do yes when we first fall for a person, we have only seen the briefest of a facade. Sometimes yeah. it's just a person across the room. Sometimes you heard their laugh. Sometimes you see them do one thing. You don't know them at all. Mm-hmm. We are all chasing people that don't exist. Yeah. I mean, that is like 
And maybe that's part of why this movie resonates so well is that in the most extreme version, symbolically, mm -hmm. he is doing what we all do when we fall in love is that we, we have this idealized thing in our head and we go out. Now, what we don't generally do is then try to transform somebody else into the idealized thing that we imagined when we saw in the first place. Well, actually, people do try to do that all the time. I hey, suppose that's true. I met you and you acted like this when I met you. Right. Why aren't you acting this way now six months into the relationship? Right. Or people try to change that person from how they were when they first met them and they turned them on. Like you hear this from women all the time. Hey, he didn't have a problem with Mary when I was wearing short dresses when we were dating. Now that we're together, yes. all of a sudden he has a problem with me wearing short dresses, right? And th th those are the things that you discover as you go. Love is beautiful in the movie type of way when you initially meet someone. Sure. But it's like as the relationship it's progresses, it becomes, and then you really see the what that behind the painting, so to speak. And that's where it, it, you decide if you can stay with that person or not. Well, and you sort of just you introduced two complicated things because one is the fantasy you're chasing. Yeah. And then when you catch it, the – you know, like, yeah. like not wanting what you want to go back to Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. You know, is that, okay, this is the thing that you thought you wanted and now you're putting limitations on it or controls on it or – yeah, we're messed up. And, and maybe having Alfred Hitchcock who seems <laughs> to be really messed up in this area exploring this in this film is – kind of useful. But I think that's why he's so profound as a filmmaker. Yeah, you can, of course, people, and, and some people commented on, on our- I don't know that I think he's profound in general. Really? I'd think so. About the human condition, about the ugliness of the male condition, I think he is. Maybe- In this film, 100%. Right. And I feel like in, in other films, he is about, about certain relationships in your life, and I think he explores yeah. them. I mean, Lifeboat is an incredibly profound I agree film, with that I one think. too. Yeah. Uh, and 39 Steps as well, with what leads you to where and who's really okay. doing what. These are just, you know, my, my, yeah. or, or even Spellbound, or even, what's the one with Cary Grant? Where Notori uh, Notorious. Is it Notorious? Yeah. Oh, that is Cary Grant. Where she thinks, where the woman keeps thinking that Cary Grant's trying to kill her. Uh, no, she's her husband. that's Suspicion. Suspicion, yeah, that one. Like, it's so profound that it stands in for how we are in marriage. Like, the second and we become insecure and lose self-esteem. We think the other person is trying to undermine us. And so all of that, I'm sorry, all of that gets uh, to me in his films. That's what I enjoy coming back to Hitchcock. It's not the technique. It's not the expertise. It's what he has to say in his films that I, against all the backdrop of everything that's going on that I really find is my attraction to his movies. And Vertigo, as you said uh, just a couple minutes ago, Vertigo more so than any of them is uh, uh, explores that. Yeah, it's funny. I don't go like – for most of the Hitchcock films, mm -hmm. and Vertigo being the biggest exception, mm -hmm. I don't walk away thinking deep stuff. Oh, okay. You know, I, I go like that was thrilling and it was exciting and it explored yeah. some underbelly of suspicion, of tension, of, of you know, voyeurism, of all these things. Yeah. But I don't go like this was – you know, like talk about Citizen Kane or something mm -hmm. where I go, man, I'm going to contemplate this for a long, long time. Right. I'm not going to contemplate Psycho or The Birds or, you know, for a long, long time or The Man Who Knew Too Much. Mm -hmm. I go, that was thrilling and exciting right. and interesting. It certainly exposes a certain underbelly of people. But yeah. Vertigo, I definitely do. So on to your yeah. second yeah, point, yeah. just to get us back. Sure. Is so your, your description, which I think is perfectly motivatable, is that she's placing herself as the replacement yeah. for a matter. And saying, look, I can be this fantasy girl. And that's very possible. And if it is, it's just as you say, that is so sad mm -hmm. because her head on top of that portrait looks ridiculous. Yes, it does. It looks really stupid. Just like he looks ridiculous chasing this incredible woman. Well, this is this, so. This is what my point is. Yeah. I think she's making fun of him. Ooh. I think she's she's going like, 
you're this you're being an idiot. You're acting like a fool. Damn, that's a good point. Now I think they're both arguable because mm-hmm. it's not. It, she doesn't fall one way or the other. They don't. The, the movie doesn't tell you. No, which way she feels. I mean, what we do know because in what happens in the next moment is that he does not think this is funny. Nope. Oh, it's not funny, Mitch. Johnny. No. Johnny, I just thought. Uh-uh. No. Let's make that movie some other night. And he is shook, mm-hmm. like hurt by it in a deep way. And he walks out, and her reaction when he is gone is, "Marjorie, you idiot." Yep. So regardless of whether or not she was just saying, look at me, I'm the replacement, or she's saying kind of joke him out of the stupidity of this thing, she really, really believed somehow this was a pathway yeah. to hit her being his girl. Yeah. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a really sad moment. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you want to grab her and go, yes, you are an idiot. What the hell were you thinking? But it's also incredibly human, nerdy, awkward. Mm. And this is what, 1950? What year is this, 1960? 58. 58. You look at 2018, 2019, nerdy people make these kinds of mistakes all the time because they make these bold decisions to sh- give a present or to – present something in a certain way yeah, that's and true. in in dating or whatever and it's just like whoa why did you think this was appropriate or whatever and so it, this this fits with how midge has been presented yeah. with the older hair and the glasses and everything like that as a nerdy she's a nerdy girl she's a nerdy woman rather I'm, yeah totally friend zoned but in the nerdy woman this is an awkward attempt to kind of you know show her cards yeah and it so misunderstands yeah. whatever the hell's going on with scotty um, and he goes off wandering late at night, and he ends up, you know, we're back at his place. It's... But can we stop for a second? Yes, of course. Steve, why would she make this mistake? She's known Scotty since college. They were almost married. Why did she think this brand of humor, if it's humor, or this way to try to get his – why did she think this war would work if she knows Scotty so well? It's perplexing. Well, I want to go back to your earlier point, yeah. which is that we're all chasing – uh, things that don't exist. Yeah, fair. I okay. go. I don't think she does know Scotty well. Yeah, I think there was a certain kind of person that she fell in love with. Yeah, but I don't think she knows this obsessive, surface-oriented, somewhat crazy, intense person. Yeah, that's not the guy she's been hanging out with. That's a great point. And that is the person who falls in love. Mm-hmm. The person that hangs out with her. That's not a guy who falls in love. Yeah, right. Not with someone like her. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, and. and because she's an idiot. As she said, I mean, like, that's the real thing is that people do really stupid things when they're in love. Yeah. And so we don't know. The, the ages don't make sense. I think if we talked about right, it in right, part right. one is that he's far too old for it to go to college with. And how long ago was college? You know, because, like, he's – Jimmy Stewart's, what, in his 50s yeah. here? She looks like she's maybe in her early 30s. Yeah. Um, Gavin, who went, also went to college with him, he yeah. maybe is in his 40s. Mm-hmm. And so the, how long ago college was is very confusing. But yeah. – it's been a long time. This was a long call. So maybe she's pretty desperate. Yeah. You know, like she sees him spending the night with this woman and being obsessed with her. And she just goes, I got to do something. Yeah, yeah. And this is her move, which is not a not a good move. It's a power move, but it's not a good move. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's like pre-dawn. He's kind of falling asleep in his apartment. There's a buzzer and in comes Madeline. Upset. What's the matter? What? I should have phoned you, but... I wanted to see you and be with you. Well, why? What's happened? I had the dream. The dream came back again. 
And I, I love this moment where he goes, she's very shook up, and he brings her to the bar, and he pours her a glass of brandy, and he says, it's brandy. Drink it like medicine. <laughs> there was this era <laughs> where booze was medicine. Oh, yeah. You know? And I love that like that. It's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, that's just, that'll, that, that's what's going to cure you. Mm-hmm. Does anyone think this anymore? No. Yeah. Um, and she starts talking about the dream and now she has a better description, which she kind of described a little bit before. And she starts to describe the church and it's whitewashed and the cloister. And he starts to move in as she describes it and goes, okay, go on. At the end of the green, there was a, a whitewashed stone house with a lovely pepper tree at the corner. And an old wooden hotel from the old California days. And a saloon, dark, low ceilings with hanging oil lamps. Yes. And we're going like, how do you know what this place is? Yeah. It's no dream. You've been there before. You've seen it. No, never. Madeline, a hundred miles south of San Francisco, there's an old Spanish mission. San Juan Batista, it's called, and it's been preserved exactly as it was a hundred years ago as a museum. And she's sure she never has been here before. She has never ever been in this place. And he's like, I've solved it. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that this is a real place and he can take because that's what he said earlier. He said, if I can get back to the beginning, then I can fix it. Yeah. Because we have this belief that somehow this is fixable. Mm-hmm. And so he now he's got it. He knows where this place is, and he says, I'm gonna take you there. And that's going to fix it. So go away. Get yourself ready. We'll pick you up later and we're going to go there. Um, I want to take a moment <laughs> to discuss because and, – and I'm not saying this is a fault of the film. But if you think about what Gavin's plan is, it doesn't make any sense at all. No. Like, OK, so you're going to have your friend follow this woman and somehow she's – and get him – and she's going to jump jump in the water, which will get him to save her. And then they're going to have enough of a connection so she can describe this place. And you are counting on the fact that he is going to hear the description of this Spanish mm-hmm. village with a church and a cloister. And he's going to go, aha, I know where that is. Mm-hmm. I remember that it's San Juan Batista just south of San Francisco. Well, maybe they went there when they were in college. So maybe he remembers. Maybe. It. Yeah. Maybe. I know. I listen, I don't disagree with you that it's a bit of a stretch. It's a ridiculous plan. Yeah. I mean it, it but it's so ridiculous that it'd be hard to connect the dots if you were an investigator. Fair. So but but, but a lot needs to go right though. We'll we'll get to another issue with the plan. Maybe we'll wait a little bit while. Because right now we're going on our drive and through some beautiful scenery. And again, it's a process shot. They're just sitting in a car in a studio. Mm-hmm. Someone's kind of shaking the car and we have rear projection going on. But it still looks great. She's wearing the gray suit, right? Oh, yeah. In the white shirt. Got to be in the gray suit. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has sort of a dreamy look. So does she... Okay, okay. Yes, no, what? what? Well, when we get to it, when we get to it, we'll talk about when we get to it. Okay. She's got the dreamy look, yeah, the whole nine. Yeah. And we get to the mission, which is San Juan Bautista. It's one of these missions that were built by the Spanish in the 1800s. And we're kind of walking around. We go into the stable. She sits in a carriage. Yeah. And she's got that Madeline dreamy look, and he asks, kind of, where are you now? And she says, Here with you. And it's all real. It's not merely as it was a hundred years ago, or a year ago, or six months ago, or whenever it was you were here to see it. And he's going, and it's all real. Right. Look around. He's trying to break it's the It's a spell. real place. And she goes, and she goes, There were not so many carriages then. There were horses in the stalls. Gray to black and a gray. It was our 
face. We were forbidden to play here. Sister Teresa would scold us. Well, and that kind of shakes Scotty up a little bit. And Why is she persisting in this, do you think? Because right now, you can get caught up thinking this is really Madeline. Of course. When you're watching the movie, right? And you find out later, obviously, what the twist is as it goes along. Because we haven't even gotten to the twist yet. So, but Madeline is, uh, uh, but is this Judy. is Judy. And Judy is doing this as Madeline. Why is Madeline persisting, or Judy persisting in doing this as Madeline? Because she does say what, like even like what, 30 seconds later, she says, like, you know, it's too late. It's too late. Blah, blah, blah. It was like, wow, she really, like she's committed to this. Well, this is what's, and I think this is particularly true of Hitchcock. So one of the reasons, which I think is a cop-out, but I'm going to say it anyway, is okay. because it's a movie. Oh, well, sure. You know, is that they he, Hitchcock wants the audience to be convinced that Madeline is a dreamy person possessed by the spirit of a Carlotta yeah. who's going through crazy stuff because that's what's going to make the twist work. Right. Is that when you go back to analyze it as Judy – Parts of it are kind of like, man, well, this is what you look like. This is a weird plan. Yeah. Like this is a lot to be asking of this woman who works at uh, iMagnon to be able to pull all this off. And yet that is what she's doing. Yeah. But I do think in um, Kim Novak's performance, we do see the cracks oh, yeah. start coming coming up very, very soon. It's great to watch too, Steve. You're yeah. right. The looks. The looks are the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he still goes like – she mentions a gray horse and he's like, oh, that's – this mannequin of a gray horse over here. See, everything has an explanation. And she's still got that kind of faraway look. Mm-hmm. And he looks at her and she's silhouetted, staring off at something in the distance. Yeah. And he's going, try for me. Madeline, try for me. Um, and then she turns, like almost like she has to pull her eyes off of something towards him and kisses him. And they start to kiss. And... As she's kissing, her eyes peel off of him yes. and look off into the distance. To the bell tower. To the bell tower. Yep. It's only you know what it reminded me of, just because we just worked on the movie. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart kissing Grace Kelly. Oh. And his eyes keep peeling off yep. to look at his neighbors. In mm-hmm. a weird way, it's a very similar moment. Yeah. And what I find interesting about this moment is that it could be that Madeline is drawn by the spirit of Carlotta to the to the tower where she's going to commit suicide. And that's why her eyes are getting pulled off in that direction. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that Judy is getting distracted by looking at the tower where she knows that dead Madeline is and the husband is and she's about to be not only the accomplice in a murder, but she's also about to really mess with this guy who she's fallen in love with. I think that's what's happening. I, I think it could be totally yeah. either. Um, and, and and there's obviously an argument to be made. Right, right, right. It completely works. She's she's committed to making this happen. She's too far down. Because she says it's too late, it's too late. She keeps protesting that it's too late. He thinks it's she's Madeline. saying it's Madeline yeah. saying it's too late because the, 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 the visions are going to kill her. But she's – I think Judy is saying it's too late because – She's already committed to Gavin and doing this, and there's no turning back, and she has to go through with it. And so she run, and she tricks him into letting her go into the bell tower by herself. So Madeline or Judy is fully committed to carrying this thing out to the end, 
even though she's in love with Scotty in real life. Well, it, you know, and we don't know really why don't we discuss it in the last episode, but what her exact relationship with Gavin is and right. what her feelings for Gavin were. Now, we can we all kind of agree that Gavin is a manipulative asshole yes, who sure. probably has no feelings for Judy. But what, yeah, but what his feel, her feelings are for him, we don't really know. Yeah. And how at what point did those transition as she started to fall for Scotty? So she could be very torn between sort of – there is this guy who I have a relationship with and I said I'd be a part of this yeah. thing or this guy who I've now fallen in love with. Yeah. You know, she's going through some stuff. And as you say, she's go- she runs out. And we haven't seen the tower yet. No. He runs out following her. Um, and he's still kind of trying to stop her. And she says, and I think you really hear Judy's voice at this mm. point, not Madeline. She says... Look, it's not fair. It's too late. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. It shouldn't have happened. It had to happen. We're in love. That's all that counts. That's Judy. I think that's Judy, too. What is not supposed to happen this way? This whole plan. She wasn't supposed to be in love with Scotty. Yeah. She wasn't supposed to figure out that she's not in love with Gavin. She wasn't supposed to regret this decision. Yep. And now she does, and she's caught between two worlds. And I think also she's saying it wasn't supposed to be this because she wasn't supposed to get lost in this whole thing. And she did. She doesn't know which way to turn. Like you said, she's just a sales girl from a store. This is too much. Well, and this is why I want to go back now to the plan is that it could be. So the way we see it is that she jumps in the thing. He saves her. He brings her back to the apartment. Then he goes out with her the next day and they go around together and then they kiss. And then she comes back with a dream, describes the dream. He recognizes the location. They go together. Mm -hmm. That's what's happened. Gavin hired him to follow her. Yeah. There is no reason why they ever had to interact at all. She could have just gone to the mission. He follows her. She goes inside the mission. He follows her. Yeah. She goes up the tower. He can't follow her right. because of vertigo. vertigo. Yeah. And then the body flies out and then she's dead and he is a witness. Right. There was no reason for them to have this relationship at all. Right. But who? But Gavin didn't anticipate that they would have a relationship. Well, that's what I wonder about that. I mean, he didn't anticipate. Certainly he didn't that say they would try to get up. with her. Well, did, but did Gavin want them to be together and for her to tell the story about the mission, which leads him to understand what the location is? Yeah, I think so. And and he wanted Madeline to seduce Scotty because he knew Scotty was – or Judy, rather, as Madeline, to seduce Scotty because he knew Scotty was weak of will and a wanderer. So easily easy to manipulate and also idealistic in his uh, chivalrous – uh, outdated uh, attempts at being a man. And so those are those kinds of things that he took advantage of, I think, Gavin, knowing Scotty so well. But the more that Scotty and Madeline are actually together talking, yeah. the more opportunity there is for Judy to mess it up. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? But how, how much does Gavin know that they're talking? Well, this is what I wonder about. the. And, of course, it doesn't matter because it is the movie is what it is. <laughs> no, but, but this is why talk. you've tuned yeah. into the cinephiles. That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> to hear this. And, by the way, Judy has called Gavin to t- – Ju- yeah, Judy's called Gavin to tell him they're going to the mission. Oh, yeah. Which is why Gavin is there with Madeline, the actual yeah. Madeline. So Gavin is like sitting there going, when am I going to kill my wife? Right. When am go. I going to kill my wife? It's that I got this. There's a lot of murder timing that has to happen to make this thing work for Gavin. He's got a 4 p.m. back in L.A. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> After she speaks to him sounding like Judy, she turns to him again in the Madeline yeah. voice and says, You believe I love you? Yes. And if you lose me, then you'll 
loved you and I wanted to go on loving you. I won't lose you. Let me go into the church. Alone. Why? What do you think is happening here? Because in my mind, she's going up there to kill Gavin. Oh. How could she do that? Throw him off the fucking wow. roof. I think she's just uh, going Sorry, up I don't there. mean to cuss on the cinephiles. I'm just saying, it seems to me. <laughs> that's kind of, <laughs> bridge has been crossed a long time ago. <laughs> but that's what it feels like to me. It feels like he is going, she is going to alone so that she can stop Gabbitt. I don't think she anticipates that, that uh, Scotty's going to have vertigo or Scotty's going to, you know, trail behind. I think because she says, let me go alone. She wants to run. I think she wants to stop Gavin and can't. I uh, So I definitely think she believes that Scotty will have vertigo. That's part of why she doesn't want him to come in. Okay. Like, don't come in. This is going to be bad for you. You're right, right, right. But I, and I, I, we're totally in agreement. I don't think she's going to try to kill him. Right. But I think she is going to say, I'm out. We can't do this. It's wrong. We should stop. Yeah. I actually going to try to talk to him. Yeah. Um, so she goes into the church. He goes after her. He sees her leaving the church. He follows her. They end up at the tower. Madeline. He starts climbing. He looks up first, and we see, oh, man, we got a long way to go up this tower. And I should say, by the way, that this tower does not exist. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, so this really is the mission at San Juan Bautista, and there was a bell tower there. Hitchcock had seen the bell tower. The bell tower had been damaged in a fire, and by the time he comes back to make the movie, they have torn it down. Oh, no. So this bell tower is a model. Huh. That they with really good, you know, classic old school film trickery they have they have put on top of it. So this tower doesn't really exist, and people go to this mission all the time, going, <laughs> "Where is it?" And it's not there. Um, uh, so he starts to go up the tower. He climbs a few steps. He looks down. The vertigo effect. He goes to the wall to get away from the, sort of the the view of the ground. Climbs up. Even worse vertigo effect. He's about halfway up the tower, and then he hears a scream. And we see a body, a blonde woman in a gray suit, fly by the window. And he looks down, and she's on the roof below, dead. The score is killing him at this moment. And the reaction from Jimmy Stewart is amazing. Once again, he was Unable to stop someone from dying mm-hmm. off a height. Yep. Right? The mirrors what happened with the cop at the beginning of the movie. I mean, you know, what Gavin does to him after killing his wife and all the other crap he's done. Yeah. Horrible. Gavin never pays the price. No. For what he did in this whole movie. Unless you watch the European alternate all ending, right. which we'll get to later. Um, <laughs> um, and he slowly tries to make his way down the stairs and we see sort of some priests and nuns come out of the cloister rushing to the, to the tower. And we see in this amazing top down shot, Jimmy Stewart sneak out the back basically as the priests are coming in the front. Um, he snuck away. He snuck away. Mr. Scott, who's such a cool dude, such a good guy, snuck away. Yeah. It is, is disturbing. Mr. I love you snuck away. While this while the woman that he loves is dead on the tower. Is dead on the rooftop. And I want to so so 
I want to tell you a quote from Hitchcock <laughs> that I think is apropos at this moment. He said, apparently, blondes make the best victims. They're like virgin snow that shows up the bloody footprints. Jesus. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> There's a lot there. Shows the bloody footprints. That's unsettling, man. It is a really unsettling God. statement. God. <laughs> I, and there's just so much well, – this is what we talked about before of like, you know, whatever your thing is comes out in your films to oh, some yeah. degree. You make so many choices and sometimes the choices are like you choose between the blue shoes and the red and that kind of shows that you like the red – you like red shoes. But as you do things over and over again and you keep putting blondes in these positions <laughs> to be killed in showers and thrown off of rooftops and attacked by birds, yeah. it starts to go like – What's up there? Yeah. What are you working through, son? There's <laughs> a lot some real weird stuff. Yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. It's after, and we're at this inquest. Why is this inquest being held at the actual <laughs> location of the death? It seems it's like we're in a mission. Yeah. It seems that this would be in a courtroom or a government building or something. It's you very can't strange. lie now. The pressure is on you. That would have no effect on me. Yeah? All well, right. in, in be, I don't generally lie. If you were Scotty, though, it might mess you up. Well, no, well, oh, well, this is, well, let's be really clear. <laughs> He's messed up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And what happens in this inquest, and it's really just a monologue yeah. uh, from the coroner, um, whose name I had here somewhere, but I don't see his name. Um, it is horrible what this guy says. Mr. Ferguson, being an ex-detective, would have seemed the proper choice for the role of watchdog and protector. As you have learned, it was an unfortunate choice. However, I think you'll agree that no blame can be attached to the husband. He basically tells the story we've seen yep. and and explains it, putting Scotty in the worst, most horrible, condescending, this is really your fault, dude, sort of light. He could not have anticipated that Mr. Ferguson's weakness, his uh, fear of heights, would make him powerless when he was most needed. It's awful. Uh, and apparently, like, the police captain has come down to testify in Scotty's character. And we hear about, you know, and he mentions the fact that this other guy fell to his death. And... 
And then he goes like, Of course, Mr. Ferguson is to be congratulated on having once saved the woman's life when in a previous fit of aberration she threw herself into the bay. It is a pity that knowing her suicidal tendencies, he did not make a greater effort the second time. This is really brutal. And he's like, but we're not here to condemn him. Right. <laughs> you know, right. It's like you kind of just did. Yeah. And through this whole thing, Jimmy Stewart is just sitting there looking dead. Yeah. Just and destroyed. Totally destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go on to say, you know, the, uh, talk about his strange behavior after. He claims he suffered a mental blackout and knew nothing more until he found himself back in his own apartment in San Francisco several hours later. You may accept that. Why not? Do you think he had a blackout? Yeah. I do too. I would accept it, especially I, with what we're about to see yeah. in that dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but the whole point that he's making is like whether he's responsible or not doesn't really matter. The The cause of death is pretty obvious. Yeah. So you guys should just figure it out. And it goes to this kind of six-person jury. I don't know what suicide inquests legally are like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling neither does Alfred Hitchcock. But they they go off and they find that, yes, it was suicide and that Scotty is not held responsible. And that's sort of the end of our inquest. And Gavin, who is there, goes up and tells Scotty he's really sorry. Shouldn't have gotten him into the whole thing. And and it's his response. He takes responsibility. And he says he's done. He's winding up his affairs in San Francisco. He's going to go as far away as he can. He's going to go to Europe. Probably to city countries without extradition treaties, right? right. Um, and he'll, you know, he kind of goes like, "I'll probably never come back." And he holds out his hand for Scotty to shake. It. <laughs> Does not get a handshake in return. No. And, and, and at this point, if you're seeing the movie the first time, you might go like, "Oh, Scotty's refusing to shake his hand because we don't know how bad he is." Yeah, yeah. But what we're going to see next is that he's this dude's in bad shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we cut to the cemetery where he stands at her gravestone. It's not the little gravestone of Carlotta. This is a big gravestone in a different cemetery. Yeah. And now it's night. And Scotty's in bed and he tosses and turns and the light starts flashing blue. And he opens his eyes in the blue. And it's really cool what the blue does to his mm-hmm. blue eyes. It looks amazing. And then we go into this really cool dream sequence. Yeah. And and it is made of the technology of the time in terms of animation. Yeah, yeah. I really like it. Yeah, it still works. It feels very like if Disney was high. <laughs> like it just it feels like if Disney had taken acid. Yes. That's what it feels like to me. And you through the animation and everything. And then I, I, it's my favorite sequence of the movie. It's my favorite really? because it's so out there. It and is. And it's like right at the dawn of psychedelia, psychedelia, right? It's 58. So it's like the Beatles are right around the corner. And then that psychedelic shift's maybe nine years away. But certainly this idea of it is that. It's like, a, and I don't know what drugs people were taking in the 50s and 40s and 30s. I know cocaine was a big deal back then and stuff. But like, what is it that you're taking that causes this kind of thing? Or is this more an exploration of like dream sequences that happen to you and things of that nature? It's interesting you say the thing about drugs. Mm. Is it a very drug-induced thing? No, it it totally is. I mean, acid existed at this point, but it wasn't, you know, people hadn't really really started happening. I think the the CIA experiments were happening right around – it's just starting to happen right around now, 58, I think. Okay. Um, And, you know, because – but it was invented in early 50s. Yeah. And so there was, you know, strange, you know, a couple of people in England had done it, a couple of people in Germany, you know, so who knows, but definitely exploring that dream, stream of consciousness sort of thing. And it's oddly prescient, too. 
first we see flowers from the bouquet yeah. and they kind of flow apart. And then he's standing back in that office, in Gavin's office, with Gavin yeah. and, and Carlotta. Carlotta, yeah. And she is wearing the necklace and it zooms in on the necklace. Um, which is, like I said, it's looking into the future on some levels and the past. And then he's walking um, towards her and the lights are flashing in red. Um, and then he's in that cemetery and he looks down and sees that open grave. Open just grave. as Madeline had described it, yeah. he's now in this strange spinning vortex. Again, a, we're in the spirals. He's a disembodied head. Disembodied in, head. In the vortex, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the shot of his shadow falling, Ugh. like his silhouette. It's my favorite part of that sequence. It is such a cool shot. Uh-huh. It's just – and this is also – I really think you see Hitchcock's mastery of color, mm-hmm. you know, in how the red flashes and the blue flashes are going to affect the colors that we're seeing and how they're represented and then how that silhouette looks up against – it's just so cool looking. Um, And it reminds me – and I know if I, I don't know if I'm right on this. So I'm going to look up the, the thing real quick. But it either reminds me of Anatomy for a Murder – or witness for the prosecution. I think it's anatomy. For yeah, anatomy of a murder, which yeah. Jimmy Stewart was also a part of. You see the body in pieces like this. Yeah. If you go and find the poster, you'll see the body in like weird kind of cut up pieces. And it feels that way with the way he's falling in yeah. that sequence that he is like kind of just like a puppet. He's a puppet. I think I've seen that movie. I have no memory of it at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's a good one. I like That's, it. I, I, th- yeah. I think I've seen Witness it. Witness for the Prosecution is, my, is way better, right. and I enjoy it, with Charles Lawton and Marlene Dietrich. If we ever do that, I would love to do that film. Sure. Court- courtroom dramas are my jam. <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll have a whole sequence of courtroom dramas. <laughs> not inquests. Courtroom dramas. <laughs> yeah, not inquests. No, we don't those. want to do that. Uh, and then, he, of course, he wakes up. Yeah. In the classic, in the I just <laughs> woke up. Or, yeah. <laughs> and now we're in a hospital. Yeah. And Midge is with him, and he is gone. Yep. He is nowhere. He is, yeah. He's gone completely comatose. He's staring straight ahead. Mm-hmm. He's completely non-interactive, and she's talking to him, and, you know, she's this whole thing where she's playing some Mozart to him, because they've apparently prescribed Mozart to him. You know, it's it's wonderful how they have it all taped now, John. I have music for, for dipsomaniacs, and music for melancholiacs, and music for hypochondriacs. What would happen if somebody got their files mixed up? Which is a good joke. No response. No response. Uh, Mitch still making them uncomfortable jokes, that Midge. <laughs> She's trying. I mean, Midge's she heart is. is in the right place. Oh, it is. She just has that. Midge, you got to move on. Yeah, you got a weird sense of humor, Midge. <laughs> but I also think this film was probably at the advent of psychology as yeah. well, right? Psychotherapy. All this. So all this is like right there. Well, this is one of the things that read. doesn't ring true to me today because at the time, like they went, oh, we're starting to figure out psychology. Oh, yeah. It's soon going to be just like medicine. So Midge finds out what she says at the beginning of the movie. Oh, you need another emotional shock to cure you of your vertigo. Right. And now we're in the hospital where it's like, hey, th- we just have to find the right piece of music to cure you of your completely, you know, out thing yeah and we're gonna get another one in the doctor right now you know nurse comes in says it's time to go and she has it i like this last moment she says john oh you don't even know i'm here do you and then she kisses his ear and says but i'm here that's nice yeah um and she walks out she goes down the hall she has to see the doctor did you have something else no it's very loving is what i mean yeah um and and she asked the doctor, how long is it going to take to pull him out of this? And he says, five months. 
Five months, just randomly. <laughs> like, uh, this is, again, this is yeah. this thing of, like, we're going to be able to cure these things and we could predict them. It's like, five, how do you know five months? Yeah. Like, the guy's literally not spoken. You don't know what's going on in there. Eh, about five months, give or take. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got to just let that Mozart really take hold. Yeah, of it yeah, yeah. You know, snap him right out of there. We're going to throw some leeches on it. We'll see what happens. Ah, leeches. <laughs> you ever had a leech on you? No. What? <laughs> I have. Not medical purposes, though. <laughs> no, not from. Oh, oh, it's just swimming okay. in a river. Oh, they're yeah. nasty little ones. I yeah. was in Israel. Oof, really? Wow. Yeah, they're. It didn't hurt that much, but it is really, really will freak out. What's the river again? The dead jo- river, the Nile River. What is it up there? What were you swimming in? Uh, I well, the big river would be the Jordan. Jordan, that's it. Sorry, uh, which I was in, but the leeches actually came in a little tiny river in the Golan Heights, and I don't remember its oh, name. Oh, the Golan Heights. Nice. Yes, yeah, the Golan Heights. Nice. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. And then she kind of the last thing she says to the doctor is like, "Oh, by the way, you know," because the doctor says he's suffering from a guilt complex. Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Well, she he was also in love with her." And he goes, "Oh, that complicates it. <laughs> Maybe it'll be seven and a half months now." Oh, it's got to be longer now. And she says, "Oh, well." And little here's another little complication. He still is. And she walks out, sad walk down the hallway. Yeah. Because that's Ms. Midge realizing that she's never going to have him. No. Which she should have realized back in college. Yeah, that's where fair. He engaged to her and dumped her in three weeks. Yeah, you know how people are. I do. You know, Having been a Midge. <laughs> I was know. just going to say, some people chase for a while. Um, and then it's sometime later and daytime San Francisco and Scotty's out apparently. So I guess the doctor, the Mozart yep. worked. Five months went by. And he goes back to her uh, her apartment and that green Jag is still parked there, mm-hmm. and a blonde woman comes out of the apartment. And here's the thing. When you first see the movie and yeah. you see the blonde woman at a distance, sure. does it look like Madeline? Yeah, it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to invoke Madeline. I think it totally looks like her. And there's and Hitchcock I, fucking with the audience, though. Well, there's a weird thing. I'm sure you've had this experience where you see something from a distance, and your brain goes, that's that, or that person, yeah, yeah. or a beautiful woman, or this. And then they come closer, and you go, oh. It yeah. wasn't that at all. That wasn't that at all. <laughs> well, yeah. And this is this thing our brain does, which is it, it it takes whatever information it has and it tries to create a complete picture out of it. And it, but that's what we're seeing most of the time yeah. is our brain completing the picture. And this is a moment where it's done in film and it works perfectly because when we get close to her, she doesn't look like Madeline at all. No. This is an older woman who apparently bought the car from Gavin. And immediately she's like, oh, yeah, I heard about the wife. It's so sad. And he's and Scotty's like, I'm out. I yep. got to go. I can't do with this. Yeah. Um, goes back to Ernie's. And again, we do the same thing. He's going back to the old haunts. And and so the Mozart he, didn't work. No. Well, it, he's no longer catatonic. No, but he's still in the he's still very much in that state of mind. Well, and and frankly, he wasn't that healthy before right. the whole Madeline right. thing happened. Why is he being left to walk alone? By the way, this is someone should be with him at all times. Here's the thing, though: is it dangerous to himself? We, I, I totally agree. But we can't see other people's stuff from right. the outside. That's true. If he said, I'm sure, I'm oh, sure yeah. he said to the doctor, "Oh, everything is fine now. I'm great." Yeah, <laughs> that's my best Jimmy Stewart. That's a good Jimmy Stewart. I think. Oh, I had a friend, by the way. <laughs> an old theater friend and he used to do Jimmy Stewart doing porn and it was oh. the most oh, oh my Mary oh, <laughs> oh it was, yikes it was it was some it was a very funny bit <laughs> but anyway <laughs> you're picturing you're listening to it now yeah now you? in my head um 
and he goes to the old haunts. He goes to Ernie's, and of course, he sees a blonde woman get up from the table. It's not her. My boy can't get over it. No. And you see every time he sees it, you see the, this is it on his face. It's not it. And the disappointment. That's what I mean. This is profound. This movie is he's talking, this is heartbreak. This is when, Absolutely. Some, when someone leaves you, whether death or a breakup, you, how many people, how many people listening to us right now, including me, myself, and maybe you have too, like drive past or walk oh, yeah. past the same areas where you used to be with some, cause you, you just can't help but go back to remember. Oh my God. I used to do all the time in my twenties. I would drive when I was fall in love with someone and we'd fall, we'd, it would break up and fall apart. I would drive past the areas that we used to hang out all the time and just sometimes I would just sit in the parking lot and just like fucking feel sad for an hour about it. You just that's just you processing the loss of something. And because that place may still, you know, like bring you sadness, it also brings you joy. Right. And that's one of the What's your way of connecting exactly, with the thing. Exactly. Me too. I did all that stuff. Yeah, I did it. I, you know, it's like I haven't had a breakup or a thing like that. I mean, I've I've had people die in my life, sure, sure, sure. But that's not exactly the same thing, right? And also, I think you you hit a keynote is like in your twenties, yep. You know, like, and I'm not saying that nobody who's in their forties or fifties wouldn't have those same instincts and do those same things. But it's sort of it's such a romantic, a hopeless romantic sort of thing to do. Fair enough. I'm not saying I I still, and to some degree, I've still done some of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just yeah, just off the mic, we were talking about looking at your old place. Oh, yeah, we were. And, and I, I've driven by my old apartment that I had in Walnut Creek that was like a special place. I've driven by it a few times and yeah. kind of remembered. I do those things. Yeah. You know? But the big lesson usually is like, oh, I can't go back there. Right. You know, there's nothing here now. Yeah. This was special, and now it's just a place. Yep. But that's not what's happening for Jimmy Stewart, because when he goes to the art gallery, he walks in, and there's a woman who doesn't look anything like Madeline sitting looking at the penny of Carlotta. Um, and he goes and looks at some flowers and as he's looking at this flowers, this woman walks by dressed in a green dress. Mm -hmm. Again, the color green is really, really important and she looks familiar. Mm -hmm. And of course this is Kim Novak with darker hair Mm -hmm. and she looks really different and, and the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the makeup, the performance, the carriage. The the dress is a green dress, but it's clearly not nearly as expensive a dress. Right. You know, it's not that it's not pretty. It's just that it's not Madeline. Mm-hmm. And she goes inside to the uh, Empire Hotel, which, by the way, still exists in San Francisco. You want to know what its name is now? What? The Hotel Vertigo. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Way to trade in. Yeah. And she, he watches the hotel. And then up on the second story window, just like at the McKittrick Hotel, when Madeline opened the window, the shades open, and there is Kim Novak as Judy now yeah. looking out. Yeah. And he goes across the street, and he goes into the hotel. And he walks down the hallway. You could feel the nervousness from him as he's yeah. getting to the door. And he knocks, and she answers. Well, what is it? Could I ask you a couple of questions? What for? Who are you? My name's John Ferguson. Some kind of gallipolo? No, no. There's just a couple of things I'd like to ask. You live in this hotel? No, I happened to see you when you came in, so I thought. I yeah, I thought so. A pickup. I think this is a fascinating scene, particularly as you think about what's actually happening here, because before she was pre- Judy pretending to be Madeline, yeah, and now she is Judy pretending to be Judy, yeah, who doesn't know Scotty, 
And she does a great job. Well, and that's incredible considering she hasn't seen him for five months. She doesn't yeah. betray the fact that they had this other existence with each other. Well, and that she was, in the context of the movie, 100% in love with him. Right. And how did she know? Does, did she ever check up on him? Did she ever find out from Gavin? I what don't he's know. Like? Did she ever, like, we don't know what she did. So yeah. for him to show up on her doorstep, like, for her to not even betray a shocked reaction. That's amazing. He's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, you've got a nerve. Follow me right into the hotel and up to my room. Now you beat it. Go on and beat it. I just want to talk to you. I like her accent. I like I how abrasive too. she is. Yeah. How very city she is. Yep. You know, even though it's San Francisco, she has a, like a New York vibe almost. And to she's her from approach. Kansas, so none of this. Yeah, none makes of this. Sense, <laughs> but... <laughs> all confused. But we also don't know. We don't. This is the Judy we meet now, Steve. This is not the Judy from before, right? Or the like. This is what's interesting to me. We meet this very completely different Judy who is abrasive, aggressive, blah, 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 very city vibe. Is this the Judy after the death, losing Gavin and the money and everything like this? Is she a hardened person now because of that experience? Or is this the same Judy that was here before? Before uh, she met Gavin. Before she met Gavin. I think that's a really great question. I have no idea. Yeah, I've... One, sorry, Steve, go ahead. No, I just – because you know like we don't know exactly how much time has passed. According to the doctor, it would take five months to cure. So yeah. we can assume that it's at least five months. At least. But in that time, we know that Gavin has left mm-hmm. and not very nicely, nope. I think. But yeah, we don't know – we don't know what she was like when she mm-hmm. met Gavin. I clearly – Man, Judy's a really good actress. Yes. Like, how did he find her and transform her in this way? And But he didn't clearly give her enough money to get out of the Empire Hotel or right. stop working at Magnum's. Right. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't have an answer for this. Yeah, that's why it was interesting when I, wa- when I watched it this time. I was like, interesting. So is she – like, when did she become this version of Judy – is this an angry Judy because of the whole experience and seeing Scotty brings out her claws? I don't know. It's also weird because she's also scared. Yes, she is. She's, and, and this is, again, it's this weird thing of like the same we were saying before of like why is Madeline behaving this way? Yeah. And she's behaving it because that's the movie wants to convince you of one thing when it really isn't. Yeah, right. And right now the movie wants to convince us that this is a totally different person. Yeah. The movie doesn't want us to think that this is Madeline. They want us to think that this is an ordinary girl yeah. who isn't Madeline. And therefore when this strange man is asking these penetrating questions and doesn't want to leave her alone and she even tries to close the door on him and he – Blocks the door to hold it open, which is genuinely scary for a thing for a man to do to a woman at any time. Yeah, sure. And she behaves scared that a movie wants to convince you that that's what's happening. But the Judy who knows Scotty wouldn't be scared in the same way. Mm -hmm. And yet she backs up and even behind her back is reaching for the phone as, you know, to call the police or something like that. Um, But that's. It's like she could be acting scared for Scotty's benefit, mm-hmm. but reaching behind your back to get the phone is not acting scared for Scotty's benefit because he can't see that. Right. It's a very odd scene. Listen, I'm going to yell in no, a listen, minute. I, I, I'm not going to hurt you, honest, I promise. Which, by the way, that's what people are going to hurt yeah, you, of course. Say. Just let me talk to you. What about? You. Why? Because you remind me of somebody. I heard that one before, too. I remind you someone you used to be madly in love with, but then she ditched you for another guy, and you've been carrying the torch ever since. And you saw me and something clicked. Hmm. Well, you're not far wrong. <laughs> well, of course, she knows exactly why right. he's here. Right. 
And this is when she he forces his way in and she backs up towards the phone and he just wants to get her name. She says her name, that she comes from uh, Kansas. She works at Magnum's. And she's like, what do you want, my driver's license? So she pulls out her driver's license, shows a Kansas driver's license, California driver's license, which, by the way, when creepy people come to your door, you really shouldn't give them your ID. Exactly. That's not a good plan. And he's just staring at her, and then she softens. Gee, you, you have got it bad, haven't you? Do I really look like her? And he nods. And then she has the epiphany. She's dead, isn't she? It's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> because what are you doing, Judy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know she's dead. Yeah. You were there. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange thing. Yeah, man. I, I, every time I watch this scene, I'm always like, what is happening? Yeah. What is, what is happening? What is she doing? And why is she persisting with this kind of... Why is she going through the paces for him of this whole situation and... Oh, you got a bad, like talking as if she doesn't know what the situation is. And I guess the only explanation is that she's in love with him. Yeah. And she doesn't want him to leave on some level. Mm. And so she's keeping him there because. But she reaches for the phone. She can't. When Initially, when she reaches for the phone, what is that? really about? weird yeah, about it. Well, saying. this is why, like, I think Hitchcock is doing two things at once. For the people who saw the movie the first time, he wants to convince them that this is not Madeline. Right, right, right. And for the people who watch it the second time, he doesn't really care because you already paid movie money yes. to see the movie the second time. <laughs> you, already got you. you already have fooled. You know. Well, and here we are on the cinephile yeah. digging into this thing. That's so true. obviously whatever he did worked. Yeah. Um, and this is – now she's kind of softened and she tells a little of her life story. Mm-hmm. And he says – Will you have dinner with me? Why? Well, I just feel that I owe you something after all this. Well, you don't owe me anything. Well, then will you for me? Dinner and what else? Just dinner. Because I remind you of her? Because I'd like to have dinner with you. And then she, I love this line. She says, I've been on blind dates before. Matter of fact, to be honest, I've been picked up before. Okay. It's like, oh, he's got her, you know? What does picked up mean, though? In 50s parlance. It means that strange men have come to her and asked her on a date and she's gone on the date. Okay. I think that's what that okay. means. All right, fair enough. <laughs> okay, what do you think it means? Well, we were talking about hooking up and getting together. and Right. This is pick, picking up is essentially hooking up, isn't it? It's essentially hooking up. It seems to me it could be one night stands, could be a makeout session, been picked up before. That. Well, that and honestly, now that we're on this topic, I yeah. thought about it, but you know who picked her up. Gavin. Gavin picked Right, up. exactly. And we know where that went. She was, I've been picked up before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's a weird, because there's a lot of creepy stuff between Gavin's obsession with her, or what Gavin did with her, and oh, then yeah. what uh, Scotty's doing with her. Right. All right, I'll get my car. I'll be back for you in half an hour. Oh, no, you you better give me time to change. You get fixed up. An hour. Uh-huh. Okay. It's so weird, because what's her intention at this moment? In the In this moment, is her intention to go out with him? Yeah, I think so. I don't think so because oh, okay. in the next moment, what does she do? First of all, the camera stays. He leaves. Camera stays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this long turn and suddenly you see this completely different face where she's really, really upset. Yeah. And the camera stays on her and we see her flashback. We see her, Judy, as Madeline running up the steps, running away from Scotty, getting up to the top of the tower. And there is Gavin with the body of his wife who throws her out of the tower and she screams and he grabs her and puts his hand over her mouth. Right. So actually, maybe you're right. Maybe in this moment she did think about going out with him, and then she has this memory, and then la- that leads her to do what she does next. Right. 
which is to reach into the closet, grab a suitcase. We see the gray suit in there, which she's obviously kept. Which is weird. Which is weird. Why would you keep the suit? <laughs> Why? And she's going to end up with two now. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to get another it's one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she starts to pack, and then she stops, and she grabs a piece of paper, and she grabs a pen, and then we hear in voiceover a letter to Scotty. Dearest Scotty, and so you found me. This is the moment that I dreaded and hoped for, wondering what I would say and do if I ever saw you again. I wanted so to see you again just once. Now I'll go and you can give up your search. Because she's still in love with him. Yeah. And she goes, I have to run away. And then she says, If I had the nerve, I'd stay and lie, hoping that I could make you love me again, as I am for myself. And so forget the other and forget the past. But I don't know whether I have the nerve to try. This is really summing up. Yep. Like all the weirdness that has happened up to this point, you see the flashback with her getting thrown off the thing. We we hear the letter and we go, oh, yeah, she impersonated Madeline in order to commit this murder, but she did actually fall in love with him. Yeah, and now she's making this decision. Yeah, Hitchcock it... wanted to cut this letter. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. And the studio wouldn't let him. Damn right. I wonder. Because this goes into, you know, basic screenwriting rules, show, don't tell. This is clearly tell. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to explain the whole thing. I wonder if you had just – it's like we think about Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner, the studio insisted that we have this voiceover to make right. sure everyone knew what was going on. And Ridley Scott was like, no, I think everyone's going to know. We just have to trust the audience. Right. So if we just had the flashback yeah, and she was about to pack and she chose not to pack, I think you would have known everything. The piece you'd be missing is that she really is in love with him. Yeah. And I think if you'd done the flashback and you had also edited in shots of her kissing him, I think you might have known all of it and maybe could have gotten away without the letter. Maybe. It still would have been confusing because you have Madeline kissing Scotty. Right. Judy as Madeline kissing Scotty. So how much of that is Judy? How much of that is her fake Madeline? Absolutely true. It's the questions you have to ask yourself. I like the letter. I think the letter is really important because it also softens Judy up for us who, remember, was abrasive with Scotty when he knocked on the door. She didn't want to have anything to do with him. And that's also a part of it, too. Like, she could have been acting this way to push him away, which happens. Sure. Sometimes you don't want to go back and reopen old wounds. And, you know, as uh, Kirk made, as Shatner said to McCoy, or Kirk said to McCoy, you know, you, as a doctor, you should know the danger of opening old wounds. And so this is an opening of an old wound here. Maybe she resisted it because she didn't want to fall back in love with Scotty again. Right. And writing the letter is her way of like processing the situation as she's packing. It's so, it's so weird too because <laughs> our images of what love are oh. in this film are so we got Midge chasing around this yeah. guy, yeah. and then we have Scotty falling in love with this person who he only observes from a distance, yeah. who is actually not who he thinks they are. It's a complete fabrication. Right. And then we have the person who is spending t- falling in love with him, who is the fabrication, falling in love with him under completely false pretenses. Right. So there is, like, nobody's, like, the movie feels like it's about true love, but man, this is a messed up true love. It is. It's true. Plus she's finding Scotty at a time in his life when he's... Very vulnerable and destroyed and guilt-ridden about – so this is not actually fully Scotty. This is Scotty in a very down, depressing time of his life. Who knows what he's like actually when he's all level and even killed and not emotionally destroyed. If he ever is. If he ever is, right. right. Um, But she makes it – she stands up. She said, if I only had the nerve, I would do this. And then she tears up that letter. She puts the suitcase back in the closet. 
and she's going to go out on that date. Mm-hmm. This sequence coming up is so hard to watch because we're at Ernie's. He's with her, yeah, and yet he is still seeing a blonde yep. and see and being distracted by his vision of Madeline, which she notices, and she notices. Yeah, man, that is that's what makes it so hard. And then we go back to the Empire, and he walks her into the room, and she has trouble with the key, and he helps her with the key, and and then he says, "Can I see you tomorrow?" And she goes, "Oh, maybe tomorrow night." He's like, "No, tomorrow during the day." And she's like, "Look, I got a job." Yeah. And and I love this moment where he goes, Let me take care of you, Judy. Thanks very much, but no thanks. No, Judy, you don't understand. Well, I understand, I... all right. I've been understanding since I was 17. Oh, and that's a great line. Yeah. So that's, that's what I mean. This woman has been the object of sexual desire from men since she was... Probably earlier than 17. Just yep. her look, right? Probably developed early, probably whatever. So she, men have come along to use her, abuse her at different times of her life, which is why she has and that hard exterior. Things. And offered her things. Offered her things. And wanted to take care of her. But taking care of her also means the exchange is that you're beholden to me and what I want from you. For instance, if I want you to help me murder my wife Thank and you. pretend to be this other person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so there, there's some reason why she might have some trepidation. Mm-hmm. She might have other reasons for trepidation well, sure. because of, of her course. previous life with Scotty. <laughs> um, and he's just kind of going, I, we could see a lot of each other. Why? Does that remind you of her? And what's so interesting in this moment is she's sitting by the window, bathed in green light and silhouetted. So you see only the outline of her face. And what's so interesting about the silhouette is as you look at her, she is, I think, both Judy and Madeline. Yes. That you can see both faces. You hear the voice of Judy, but you see the the profile and the silhouette of Madeline, and they're both. And you see that Scotty is seeing more Madeline in this dark silhouette than he's seen since her death. Right. And what do we hear as we're watching this? We hear the love theme from Vertigo. Yeah. Um, but think about this, Steve, right? And it's a breakup. I've been thinking about this. <laughs> what do you think you've been doing, John? <laughs> fair point. Fair point. I mean, no, but look, this, if you if you strip this movie away from all the drama and blah, 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 this is a guy going through the loss of a, of a woman. Yes. Right? Uh, breakup or otherwise. He is processing this loss by visiting the old places they used to go to. Yep. And now he's dating a woman that reminds him of Madeline. Yeah. Right. And so and then he's constantly distracted by other people that remind him of Madeline. How many people listening to us right now have done this or been on the other end of this when you realize the person is dating you because you remind them of their ex and then starts to ask you to do things that their ex used to do because they can't process the loss of this other relationship. So they're using you to do that. And I feel like that's what's happening here. When you strip away all the drama and the murder and all this kind of stuff, it's a guy going through the breakup, through the loss of a loved one that he that he had such a thing over, an obsessive love over, and now is is trying to find people that remind him of her because he can't move on. I think and that's t- I think that's totally right. And I think 
in in previous movies and other in other movies, yeah. the MacGuffin, this idea of Hitchcock MacGuffin, yeah. is a vehicle to get you to suspense, mm-hmm. to get you to be worried, to be stressed, to have a thrilling sequence, to have a, 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 a action sequence hiding not ha- hanging off of the edge of the Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. or the Statue of Liberty, or to be chased by a you know a biplane that's firing at you, <laughs> a crop duster, yeah. you know, like all those things. That's what Hitchcock uses the MacGuffin for. In this movie, the MacGuffin is this murder mystery, mm-hmm. and he is using that to get into some profound and difficult and painful and sick stuff mm-hmm. about how people – what love is to people or what they think love is. Right. I think you're 100 percent right, and I think where we end up in here is a really dark place yeah. because he's kind of – he's not – when she says you are just want to be with me because I look like her, yeah. he doesn't say no. Nope. And she says that's not very complimentary. Mm-hmm. And really, she knows, and we know that she should say no. Right. But she says, "Okay, I'll try to get the day off." Mm-hmm. And he exits. And it's the next day, and they're walking near the Palace of Fine Arts, and we see you know birds fly away as they walk by, and they see a couple kissing on the grass. They're not kissing. Mm-mm. They don't because he's not in love with her. Nope. And he, he he's drawn to her, but it's like it's almost like it's almost worse the fact that she's close. That makes her less attractive yeah. on some level. He can't go away from her, but she isn't the thing that he wants. And they're dancing at some fancy place where they're dancing, and she leans in on him, and he is staring off in space. Yep. He is not present, and she knows he's not present. They buy some flowers, and then he talks about getting her some clothes. Yeah. This these couple of scenes now might be the roughest in the movie on some level. Um, we're in a very very fancy store where models are modeling clothes, and she's modeling a gray suit. It's not the one he wants. No, that's not it. Nothing like it. But you said gray, sir. Now look, I just want an ordinary simple gray suit. And Judy's kind of going, "No, that's a that's a nice suit. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. That we'll seems really good." Because of course she knows. Yep. She could say – she could pull aside the store and it's like he's looking for the one model from two years ago yep. that's this cut with this thing. But she's not going to say that. Scotty, what are you doing? I'm trying to buy you a suit. But but I love the second one she wore and this one. It's it's beautiful. No, no. They're none of them right. And of course the, the, the woman working there is going, oh, the gentleman really knows what he wants. Yeah. Which is also a way of saying – this guy's a pain in the ass. <laughs> and then she kind of goes, oh, I think I, I think I know the one you're looking for. Um, and she leaves, and we're left alone with Judy and with Scotty, and she says, You're looking for the suit that she wore for me. You want me to be dressed like her. Judy, I just want you to look nice. I know the kind of a suit that look well on you. No, I won't do it. I know what looks well on you because I met you yesterday, and I know exactly what looks well. Yeah. Now, I think I might have mentioned this before, but Ken Novak did not want to wear the gray suit. She yeah, didn't think did the gray suit looked good on her, So, which is really good for actors because now she has to resist the gray suit, mm-hmm. which she genuinely did not <laughs> want to wear that gray suit. And she just goes, no, I won't do it. And she walks away. Yeah. And he goes to her and he keeps working on her. Judy, it can't make that much difference to you. I just want to see what you No, you're I don't want any clothes. I don't want anything. I want to get out of here. Judy, do this for me. These scenes, these scenes are so difficult to watch. It's horrible, and his obsession with recreating Madeline erases her humanity, her individuality. I'm talk about objectifying a person. Yeah, it's beyond the objectification. I mean, it, it is like all I care about 
I don't care about what's inside you at all. Nope. It's just what I can turn you into. Right. And I'm going to fall in love with you if you can just be this. Yeah. This fake love. And, and the thing that makes it so much more horrible is that Judy is Madeline. Yeah. She knows exactly. It's not like she's some stranger to this no. and this weird guy just wants to buy her a dress. It's that, no, she knows exactly what he wants from her and she wants to be loved for who she is. Right. And yet she still goes, okay. Yeah. And they come in and there is the real gray suit. And he's like, can we get this altered right away? <laughs> and it's it's rough, man. Yeah, man. Like talk about the level of his obsession. Sick. Yep. And he also wants to get an evening dress. And she's resisting that too. Yeah. Um, and the store this the woman at the store just goes, Oh, you certainly know what you want. <laughs> over and over again. Here's what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. So here's where we started. We started like the basic myth that began this movie is that there is a dead girl, yes. Carlotta, who's possessing a living woman, Madeline. Yeah. That's where we started. Oh, good point. And then <laughs> he, after Madeline dies, he discovers the physicality of the dead girl, Madeline, yeah. in the living girl, Judy. And he's trying to turn Judy back into Madeline as Carlotta was trying to turn Madeline into her. Yep. Um, and at first he was trying to stop Madeline from being turned into Carlotta. Yep. Now he's doing the opposite. And the other thing about it is that in the first story – the inside of Madeline was being taken over with the spirit of Carlotta. Right. And in this story, he's trying to take the outside of Madeline mm -hmm. and put it on the person of Judy. There's some weird shit going on. Keep going with that in the hopes that the spirit of Madeline will yes. take over the spirit of Judy. Exactly. Yeah. All the way to the end. Yep. yep. You have to take that logic all the way to the end. Which, and that's what he wants. Which I hadn't thought about before. But if you take that one, if the spirit of Madeline actually comes into Judy, well, she's going to kill herself. Exactly. Because then she's going to be haunted by Carlotta. That's because scotty. part of what attracted him to her was the hauntedness. Of course, the, the, the unattainability of it all and that she might die at any moment. And doomed and mysterious and all this stuff. Yeah. And again, we go back to we fall in love with these weird facades that we construct yep. in our head, and that's what attracts us, not the actual living, breathing, farting, smelling, you know, <laughs> irritable, looks bad in the morning humans. That's right. what our real people are. Right. But we're into the mysterious, beautiful, blonde in the gray suit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The romantic nature. Of yep. Um, <laughs> we go to get some shoes. We're back at uh, his place. He pours her a drink of brandy, and he says, drink it straight down like medicine. Ugh. It's weird hearing that line come Using back. Using the same line. Yeah. And and she's still resisting. She's like, what good is this going to do? And he's like, I don't know, probably no good. And she knows she should leave. She says that she should leave her alone. She wants to go away. Um, and he says, these are the first happy days he's known in a year. So it's been longer than five months. Well, we don't know how long it was between because we had the inquest. Right. I, are you, you're not doubting the five months from the doctor. I'm saying it's been longer than five months in my mind. No, it clearly has. Oh, I'm saying, saying <laughs> I'm saying maybe it was seven months yeah. from and, and there's some time after. That doctor's a quack. <laughs> but what I'll say that's weird is like he says this is the happiest I've been in a year. Does yeah. he look happy? No. That's not a happy dude. No. I mean, maybe he's like incrementally less horribly depressed. But right. And she says, I know because, because I remind you of her. And not even that very much. No. No, Judy. Judy, it's you too. There's something in you that 
and he grabs her face like he's going to kiss her, mm -hmm. and then he lets go. You don't even want to touch me. Yes, yes, I do. Not Judy. No. He wants to touch Madeline. I think he is repelled by her yes. on some level. Mm -hmm. And then what she says next is so sad and so painful because she says, Wouldn't you like me? Just me the way I am? When we first started out, it was so good. We, we had fun. And, and then you started in on the clothes. Well, I'll wear the darn clothes if you want me to. If, if you'll just... Just like me. <sighs> right. I, it's, it hurts a lot. Well, this is, this is sadly what happens in, in some toxic relationships. People try to change the people they're with to be what they want them to be because that's what they can handle in a relationship. They don't want to accept a person as they are. They want to change the person they're with so that person is more palatable to them. And that is where, to me, you are in a toxic relationship. 100%. And I don't care I don't care how fucking sweet the person is or you've had a baby with them or whatever. If someone tries to change who you are and, like, remove you from the things that you are in the guise of doing it for your own good while they themselves are pretty effed up and have effed up relationships right. and, and handle things in an effed up way. Who are they to judge who you are as a person and try to make you better when they can't even make their own lives better? And that is fascinating to me. And I will fully admit to you, Steve, I did that when I was younger in my younger years, in my insecure years, my self-esteem, because that's where it comes from is insecurity, self-esteem. The fact that you can't accept someone for just exactly who they are stems from your ability to – to you want them to be a certain way because you can't handle who they really are. You want them to be a certain way so that you can handle them because you're too insecure or your self-esteem has issues because they seem to be different than what you want them to be. And that is a, well, a dangerous slip. And that slope. you've idealized yes. what, a, what a partnership be. A partner should be right. that you put in your box. This is what a partner should be. Right. And therefore, any way that you don't measure up to whatever that thing is, yeah. is obviously a failing. Right. Without seeing, of course, the failings in yourself. Exactly. And I'll look at it from a different perspective, too, which is that if you're in a relationship and you're begging self, the person others on the other side to like you, yes. I'll do anything. If you'll just like me a little, you got to. That you got to get out. You got to work on yourself. You got yeah. to stop dating people and you got to figure that out because you cannot change. You can't constantly be malleable relationship to relationship to fit what that other person wants and consider yourself a person with a strong uh, emotional core or strong self belief about themselves. Well, and anytime you're begging for someone's yeah. affection, you ain't going to get it. Nope. That ain't going to work. Nope. And that doesn't work here because she says this line of such heartache and such honesty and such pain. And he says, The color of your hair. No. As if he didn't hear a word she had to say. Which I don't think he did. Nope. It's all noise until he gets what he wants. And she says, No. Judy, please, it can't matter to you. Child, like a fucking child. Well, and she just said, she listened to what obviously yeah. this matters to her. Yeah. Um, and then finally she says, Changing I... my hair color is not going to matter to me. <laughs> well, I tell you what, why don't you stop being an obsessive jerk off? It can't hurt that much. It can't be <laughs> it that can't difficult. Matter. It can't matter to you. It can't matter to you. Um, and then she, but she gives in. If I change, if I let you change me, yeah. will that do it? If I do what you tell me, will you love me? Yeah. And he says, yes. Uh, it's so painful. And then he sort of kisses her. Right. 
but not really on the lips. And then what does he ask? He says, sit by the fire. <laughs> Just the way that Madeline did. Yep. It is so – and it's funny because I think that – I don't think this is an insult on Hitchcock because he's intending to make you feel oh, sure. horrible. This yes. is intent. It's not like it's happening accidentally. But this movie, the level of abuse and objectification and controllingness mm-hmm. is on women is so horrible. And by the way, he does not have the high ground, the moral high ground at the end of the movie. All of this Who? tap uh, Jimmy Stewart. Oh, God, Scott, no. Even though he the movie portrays like he has the moral high ground at the end, I think it's disgusting because you watch him here. He is a terrible, terrible person. And no, don't give me this, oh, he's lost in his pain and he can't get over it. No, 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 no. He was already a terrible person, uh, obsessive, idealistic, pampered, privileged person before he even started this stuff with Madeline and Gavin. This just brought it all out, the yeah. ugliness of what well, he really and, has inside of him. And to be clear, it's like if you stole $1,000 from me and I didn't know you stole $1,000 from me. Right. And then I systematically beat the crap out of you whenever I saw you and then found out that you stole $1,000 from me. <laughs> that doesn't make me a good guy. Exactly. Because I was still beating you up for no reason. He found a random woman on the street. Yeah. And he has been essentially torturing her. Oh, yeah. It is horrible. Emotionally. Because she does yeah. truly love him. I guess. What, I mean, well, know. no, I guess you're right. What, whatever she's capable of loving someone in her messed up way, she does love him. I mean, or, that's how she feels. Or the version of Scotty. I, 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 should, I should say, I should take back, like, she does love him. Because she feels that she loves him. Right. She feels that she loves him. She feel, I mean, like, I think that, that the way that you fall in love with this person in two days when you're pretending to be someone else while manipulating them into this thing, yeah. and you go, oh, I'm totally in love with them. Right. I have a real problem with sure. how you view love. But that is how she feels. Um and so next we're at a salon mm-hmm. and he kind of asks how long is it going to take and it's going to take a lot of hours. There's a line by the way where he says, uh, and you're sure about the color of the hair and all the rest, which means they're making up her eyebrows or, you know, yeah, they're, he's – and she says, we know exactly what you want, Woo-hoo. you know. And he says he goes, he'll go back to the hotel. So he goes back to the hotel empire and he's waiting and we hear that love theme. And he's kind of looking around the apartment, which makes you a little nervous because that other gray suit yeah, and the, it's and in the necklace, they're all over there. And he looks out the window and the music is rising. And there's a lot of tension build that's not delivering because she's not showing up. He looks down the hall. She's not there. We hear the elevator. And she walks towards him in the gray suit, but her hair is down. Yep. And so it's still not quite there. That's her defiance. Yep. She knows she wants the, he wants the hair up. Of course she knows. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she, you know what? I think she knows he's going to get the hair up. Oh, fair enough. Um, and the way – again, this is Hitchcock's mastery of color yeah. – is the way that gray suit looks in the green light is really kind of fascinating. Yep. And he had to know that ahead of time. Um, and he, of course, first thing he comments on is the hair. Well. I should be back from your face and pinned at the neck. I told her that. I told you that. We tried it. Just didn't seem to suit me. And he says, please, Judy. And she goes into the bathroom. There's the green light and the music swelling. And he looks out the window and he's bathed in the green light. And he looks at the closed door and he sits down and the music rises and rises. And we hear the door 
And the, he turns slowly as the music builds. And this is where I, I do think this is Bernard Herrmann's best yeah. score. And the camera pushes in on him as he's seen her. And then we see her. And she's in this fogged sort of image. And she comes out of it, and the transformation is complete. Yeah. It's Madeline. And here's the thing in this moment that occurred to me watching it this time. The fogginess is obviously him, the fog of his brain. Right. Finally being clear. Which is probably why he couldn't hear her. Like, this is probably the way he was existing for a year, this fog right. of her clouding his judgment, clouding his views. Now that she comes clearly into view, his mind is back to a degree complete, like, completely able to like figure stuff out and be somewhat normal. But I also think this moment of the green light and the fog is very reminiscent to when, we, when he sees her the first time with that vibrant red behind Kim Novak in the restaurant. And what kind of color dress is she wearing? It's green. Yep. And so this is him 100%. seeing her come out of the green light. This is fully Madeline. Not just the gray suit, the green as well. I agree. So it's very interesting. I completely agree. And his reaction is amazing. Yeah. Again, you know, Jimmy Stewart's one of my favorite actors. He's such a good actor. And she moves forward and he moves forward and he takes her face in his hands and kisses her. Then, now, finally, yeah. he can kiss her. And of course, who's he kissing? The answer is, we don't, who knows? Sure. Like, At this point, you're good, you're as good like, as ours. Um, and they embrace, and everything around them goes dark. Yeah. Because they're actually not in the hotel. You know, they're in a studio, and there's a rear projection going on, and they start to sort of spin, and suddenly they're in the carriage house. Yeah. And he looks around and sees it. I'm in the carriage house. And the music is very strange, and they can go back to kissing, and it goes dark again, and then they go back in the hotel in that green light. And so, first of all, this is all done with, you know, studio trickery yeah. and rear projection. And they're on a turntable that's spinning around to make all this stuff happen. And here's the thing that I thought is this story began with a story of a woman who was haunted by a dead woman of the past. And that haunting is causing her to have dreams and vision and for her to walk into the world and see things that aren't there. And now the guy that was chasing her is having dreams of the past. Yeah. He has he has become what Madeline was supposed to be yep. and wasn't. Right. You know, that's a, a really strange reversal. I mean, it's now he's the one who's haunted in the way that Madeline was supposed to be haunted, yeah. but really wasn't. It's later on. They're sitting down and chatting and talking about where to go to dinner and go to Ernie's and and really Scotty's back. Yeah. For this like maybe a minute in the film, he seems happy. Yep. Where should we go for dinner? Anywhere you like. Ernie's? You have a thing about Ernie's, don't you? Well, after all, it's our place. He kind of goes to kiss her. He's like, oh, no, no, you'll muss me. And she goes over to the dressing table, and she starts putting on a necklace. And we see that necklace right away. Mm -hmm. He hasn't seen it yet. And he offers to come help her. He stands behind her. He looks into the mirror. And then – and she's talking about the big steak she's going to get and everything's going to be fun. And then he sees it. And immediately there's a flash of Carlotta's portrait wearing that necklace. Yeah. Um, and Madeline's sitting looking at the portrait and we're back at Scotty's face. And she goes, I'm ready? And kind of is affectionate. Hey, must be a little bit. And she goes to kiss him and looks and is like, Scotty, I do have you now, don't I? And he says – Let's go someplace out of town for dinner. Yeah. Maybe we can drive down the peninsula. 
So does he make up his mind in this moment? As soon as he sees the necklace, does he have this whole I think so. plan? It seems like... Fast thinker, no, that guy. Not only does he have a whole plan, he knows everything that happened. Yep. He just all comes clear to him in an instant. Mm-hmm. And you remember in his dream, he was standing with Gavin and Carlotta and the necklace. Right. Like somehow, like he, there was something in his brain about what was going on here. But why does she wear the necklace? Because she's stupid. I mean, that seems like, that seems what the film is telling me. All right. I mean, why else? I don't know. I mean, it's really dumb. Do you think that because his obsession was with Carlotta or Madeline's obsession was with Carlotta and the necklace that like this is the full – she's trying to do the full thing now. She's committing to it now. I don't think so because she seems so like, oh, we'll go to Ernie's and grab a snake. She's like – She seems happy. She seems totally – After this transition, like, okay, this is what I have to do to be with this guy. I'll do it. Yeah. I was like, why? And and she's being herself. She's not being Madeline. Nope. And and so like it seems like why would you mess with that? You know, it seems – it seems – Really, just like, I don't know, though. And now we're back to driving on our same route down the coast. We're through the trees with that ominous music going. and We're going awfully far. I just feel like driving. You're terribly hungry? No, but it's all right. She's catching on. Oh, yeah. And And his response is she's catching on. Yeah, and and, and the music is getting scarier, and he's just totally stone-faced. And she asks where we're going, and he smiles. A truly evil smile. Yeah. One final thing I have to do, and then I'll be free of the past. I'll be free of the past! Is he thinking about killing her? No. I think he's just trying to find out the truth. I think there is strong... Push in this movie to feel like we don't know what that guy's going to do at That's this moment. That's fair. Absolutely. You know? We don't know what he's going to do. I mean, he's looking really crazed. Yeah. I don't think he necessarily thinks he's going to kill her, but I think all options are on the table. How about that? Yeah. That's I, what I'm I agree. Yeah. And he's certainly happy to scare the crap out of oh, him. Oh, yeah. Because he thinks he has the moral high ground because he's been lied to. And, well, and she has. I mean, clearly he has some moral high ground. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yes. We're at the mission. Uh, it's dark and scary, and she's kind of still playing Judy. Scotty, why are we here? Scotty, why are we here? I told you, I have to go back into the past once more, just once more, for the last time. This is scary talk. Yeah. And then he tells her, Madeline died here, Judy. And she's starting to resist. I don't want to go. Now, by the way, Madeline died here, Judy. How much has he told her about Madeline? I don't know that he's told her much of anything. We don't, I, if I, Stephen, uh, maybe we haven't seen her tell. Yeah, that's anything. what I'm saying. Did he ever mention her? Not in the movie. He never says Madeline to her. Not that I remember. But Judy knows, or that she's trying to that he's trying to make her sure. look like Madeline. Absolutely. Okay. But we don't know what's happened off camera, right? But if, and from what we've seen, he hasn't mentioned her. That's, that's true. What I'm saying. Um, and he says, "No, I need you. I need you to be Madeline. And when we're done, we'll both be free." Anytime someone says we'll be free, I'm like, hold on. <laughs> Let's back. What are we really talking about? Free of what? I'm scared. Oh, no, I have to tell you about Madeline now. So it sounds like, oh, okay. I, yeah, it sounds like he, he might have mentioned her name, yeah. but he hasn't said much. Not bad. He laid the groundwork. Um, and they get to that spot on the grass, and he says, right there, we kiss for the last time. And she said, And she said, if you lose me, you'll know that I loved you and wanted to keep on loving you. And I said, I won't lose you. But I did. And then she turned and ran into the church. And he pulls her into the church. And he's rough with her. He's, I was going to say, he's aggressive. Very, very this, yeah. dragging her into the church. And she's like, I don't want to go. And he says, it's too late. 
Yeah. Which is what she said to him when she was Madeline. It's too oh, late. It's you're too right. Late. It's too late. Yeah. And they're inside at the stairs. I tried to follow her, but I couldn't get to the top. I tried, but I couldn't get to the top. One doesn't often get a second chance. I want to stop being haunted. You're my second chance, Judy. You're my second chance. Take me away. You look like Madeline now. Go up the stairs. No. Go up the stairs. Mm. Again, I, I don't know that he's thinking of killing her, but I definitely think that Hitchcock wants the audience to worry yes. about that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and she starts going up the stairs, and it's barely lit. It's very dark. And he follows, and then he looks down, and of course we have the vertigo effect. Yep. Keeps going up further, looks down, more vertigo. He's right behind her, and then we get to the same spot that we were before, and he says, This was as far as I could get, but you went on. You remember? And she looks back because he said you. Mm -hmm. And then he tells her. The necklace, Madeline. That was a slip. I remembered the necklace. Let me go. And she tries to run. Yeah. And he grabs her. Oh, we're going up the tower, Madeline. You can't. You're afraid. Now we'll see. We'll see. This is my second chance. And he's calling her Madeline, too, which yeah. is very interesting to me. He's like, I, I, he's... He's around the bend. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like in a, a place here, yeah. seeing things very clearly on some level, but yeah. but man. <laughs> um, and she says, you can't, you're afraid. And he says, we'll see. This is my second chance. Um, and that's what I think maybe this hadn't clicked 100% before, before, but now he says. But you knew that day that I wouldn't be able to follow you, didn't you? Who was up there when you got up there? Elster and his wife? Yes, yes. And she was the one who died. The real wife, not you. And this is where we kind of get mm -hmm. the whole thing. Yep. You were the copy. You were the counterfeit, weren't you? Was she dead or alive? Dead. When you... dead. He's broken her neck. He's broken her neck. I don't know if he broke her neck up in the tower or if he broke her neck and brought the body here. It feels like he broke her neck and brought the body here. Um, Gavin's that kind of guy that would. Um, and now the big thing that he doesn't know is why did you scream? It was you who screamed. I wanted to stop it, Scotty. I ran up to stop it. You wanted to stop it. Why did you scream? Yep. That's what I mean. I think that's true. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's the truth. That's why she didn't want him to see it. And now we get into this is some weird shit. Because mm -hmm. he goes. You played the wife very well, Judy. You made you over, didn't you? You made you over just like I made you over. Only better. Not only the clothes and the hair. But the looks and the manner and the words and those beautiful phony trances and you jumped into the bay, didn't you? I'll bet you're a wonderful swimmer, aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't you? Yeah. And then what did he do? Did he train you? Did he rehearse you? Did he tell you exactly what to do, what to say? You were a very apt pupil too, weren't you? You were a very apt pupil. So first of all, Jimmy Stewart is great. Yes. Oh, absolutely. In a way that we've never seen anything like this from him yeah. ever in any film. I mean, like, I mean, yes, we talked about how emotional he was in It's a Wonderful Life, and we talked about, you know, some of the other qualities we saw in Rear Window. We've seen his a lot of his intensity throughout this film. Yeah. But he is scary and manic and intense in this really crazy way. Yeah. And what's the other thing that's weird about this scene, I think in this very strange parallel universe, he's talking about this other man who had sex with her. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, he's yeah. saying, how did he touch you? And how did he right. do this? And did you like it? And did... that's the way this performance is yeah. happening. Yeah. You know, and, and like the idea that he rehearsed you 
that's very treated in a very intimate way. Yep. And what, of course, I kept thinking about was that's Hitchcock. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. that's what Hitchcock does. That's his way of interacting with these beautiful women yeah. is to dress them and control them yeah. and rehearse them and tell them how to say and how to act and create a whole identity for them. Yeah. And that is his way of that's his sex, you and know, quiz them about who they went out on dates with. Yep. And things of that nature because they're ha- these guys are having them and he isn't. Yeah. And, and, very and, sick. And really, I think transforming a woman is treated as sex in this film. Yeah. You know, and in a very controlling and objectifying and demeaning and it's a, it's sick. It's yeah. just as you say. It is really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this the, – now we got into the last point. Why did you pick me? Yeah. And it's because of his accident. Mm-hmm. I was the setup, wasn't I? I was the setup. I was a made-to-order witness. I w- and he looks down, and there's no vertigo. Right. Proving Midge's earlier point. You had to go through a traumatic experience, and then the vertigo would go away. Yep. I made it. I made it. He's so good here, man. He's really good. We're going up and look at the scene of the crime. Come on, Judy. And he drags her up that last little mm-hmm. bit like a like a caveman. Yeah. It is horrible. And now we're up in the tower. And this is where it happened. And the two of you hid back there and waited for it to clear, and then you sneaked down and drove into town. Is that it? And then he says, You were his girl. What happened to you? Did he ditch you? Did he ditch you, Judy? Which of Just course digging it in. Yeah. It's it's and that's what he did. Yep. Oh, and Judy, with all of his wife's money and all that freedom and that power, and he ditched you. What a shame! Didn't he give you anything? And what he gave her was a little bit of money and the necklace. There was where you made your mistake, Judy. You shouldn't keep souvenirs of a killing. You shouldn't have been. You shouldn't have been that sentimental. Of course, if she wasn't sentimental, she would never be with him now. Right. Because the truth is she fell in love with him. And the music changes, and now we hear this love theme. I loved you so, man. And by the way, this is great physical blocking, too, because uh, Madeline slash Judy is cowering in the corner in the shadows. In the shadows. Right? And it's only when Scotty finally has this moment of speaking about how much he loved Madeline that she climbs out of the shadows and comes to him. Yep. Into and then, the light. When I saw you again, I, I couldn't run away. I loved you so. I walked into danger, let you change me because I loved you and I wanted you. And they embrace. And he says, too late. There's no bringing her back. And this is where I go, like, I don't think, like, let's say what happens at the end didn't happen. Right. I don't think this is a good relationship here. This is not going to go well. It's very toxic. Um, but they kiss. And just as they kiss, which I think is... Is giving you the idea like, oh, maybe they can be okay. It's a great choice by Hitchcock to have to give you that little bit of hope. A little bit. Just before he snatches it away. Yeah, because then we hear a voice and the shadow comes up the stairs looking scary and ominous. And someone says, I hear voices. And Judy scrambles away. And then we hear a scream. Because, of course, she scrambled right out the window and fell just like Madeline fell. And the nun crosses herself and rings the bell, and Scotty walks out of the bell tower onto that balcony and looks down. Fade to black. I want to 
ask you something. Okay. Because it struck me this time. The, she thinks that's Madeline's ghost. Who the the nun? The nun. She oh. thinks. I think Judy thinks that's. Judy Madeline's thinks ghost. the nun is Madeline's ghost. Mm. Coming. That's what I've. That's what I. This time, I heard voices. Like just the way she says it. The mm. nun says it. It almost sounds a little bit like Madeline. And so to me, that's what I thought. Because why would she be freaking out by someone coming up the stairs? It would. Be, it's seeing the shadow. What's the shadow represent? A ghost. Something out of the past coming to coming back to exact revenge on Judy for her guilt of having had Madeline or have been a, accomplice to the Madeline uh, death and cover up. And so she scrambles out. Now, the ring of the bell, the bell tower is interesting. And this is me being stupid. And I'm OK with this. <laughs> well, what is that... Jimmy Stewart other Jimmy Stewart's other most famous film? Um, Would you argue? It's a Wonderful Life. Right. Well, what's that from? Who made that film? Frank Capra. And, but, like, what's the production company? Liberty, Liberty Films. Films. What do you see? Yeah. The ringing of the bell. So, to me, the ringing of the bell. I think you're reaching. Oh, of course I'm, I'm really reaching. Yeah, you're reaching. But really I far. love that I thought of this. Like, sure. I, I, this is me stroking my own ego. But I love that he Hitchcock uses a bell tower in a way to, to like, to kind of like with Jimmy Stewart now in this bell tower, just so you saw ringing bells in mm. It's a Wonderful Life. You see the bell tower uh, uh, ring ominously at the end of Vertigo versus hopefully at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. I love that. I wonder what Hitchcock thought of It's a Wonderful Life. I bet he had no interest in it at all. It's a boring movie. Yeah. It's not how love is. Yeah. So I, I, I just, for that, it struck me this time. I was like, oh, bell tower, bell tower. How interesting. Is there another ending of a Hitchcock film that's anywhere close to as upsetting as this moment in Good Vertigo? Question. I don't think there is. I've Dark well, endings. Because the thing is, this ending, particularly when they had that moment of them embracing, mm-hmm. and then she goes out the window, and then the movie ends so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just left with nothing. Like, you don't know who Jimmy Stewart is or right. what he's going to be, except for the fact that you kind of go like, oh, he's doomed. Like, he is the worst, oh. darkest version. I think so. You think he's doomed? Oh, my God, yes. I don't. I think he now becomes okay. Oh, God, no. Yeah, I think so. Because one, he's exercised doing because I don't have vertigo anymore, and two, he was able to find out what happened with the Madeline Judy situation, so he doesn't feel guilty anymore for the death of Madeline, and so yeah, but now he feels guilty for the death of. Judy. I don't think he does because he's done loving Judy in that moment. He's like, you can't bring her back. Mm. That to him is the end of it's yeah. the wrapping up of the whole thing, so, which is so frustrating because he should not be the protagonist of this fucking movie. He is a terrible person. No, and I think it's just like, oh, he will be trapped forever in the swirling spirals of guilt oh. and deception, and not that's to me where I think this movie ends. That's fascinating because to me, it's like it's the end of the spirals. This ending of the movie, which is why the ringing of the bells, which is the kind of like shaking all out. And it's funny. I mean, and maybe this is why I love like, it. It talking to like to me, that's why this movie is profound in the way that the other movies are less so because I'm haunted yep. by that guy standing on that balcony looking essentially to me as like, well, he's never he's never gonna speak again. Like that <laughs> guy, that is that guy is gonna go into the deepest catatonic, hopeless, awful place in the world. That's where I see it. See, I think he goes to Midge and they get married. Well, you're gonna like the alternate ending then, <laughs> because this is what happens. At oh the, yeah, tell us. So, so I've so, never seen this, by the way. Yeah, it's on. It's on one of the Blu-rays or something. Okay. Is that is that for the European release? They, you know, because there's things where like bad guys shouldn't get away with things, and that has been in various codes in films, which I always think is ridiculous. Because, of course, it is. Um, in real life, bad guys do. In real life, and, and sometimes that's the story, and you and there are tragedies, you know, like. But they wanted an ending where the bad guy didn't get away. So there's a final scene where Midge and Jimmy Stewart are back in. 
Midge's apartment having a drink and we hear over the radio that the European whatever is tracking down Gavin, whatever his last name is, and they were about to capture him. Wow. Yeah. So the bad guy is going to get it and Jimmy Stewart is hanging out with Midge having a drink. Happy ending. Essentially. Yeah. I mean they're not saying anything to each other. Right, and it's right, kind right. of a dark night. But but yeah, it's certainly not the ending of him standing on that balcony. Does he look does he look disturbed at all? Does he look kind of like No, nah, he looks kinda kinda chill? Kinda, you know, normal. Yeah. Yeah. Not they're not laughing and happy. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean Hitchcock of course didn't even want to shoot it and they did I'm shoot sure. it, but that's kind of what you have to do. Um Damn. Yeah. I gotta watch that. <laughs> it's it's not much. It's kinda silly. Okay. Um uh this was not a well-reviewed movie. The critics did not like it. No. And I think part of it is that it doesn't fit in with all the other Hitchcock films. And well, probably because they saw themselves in this. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. They, and it's a it's a difficult, dark movie, and they wanted to have a thrill. You know, they didn't want to have, like, something that's going to – you have to think about in this way. Well, also, what do critics like to do? I thought it was going to be this movie. You need exactly. to do this, this, and this, and this to make it this movie. Then I'll like it. Uh, one of my favorite re- responses to it is uh, from Orson Welles. You want to hear what he had to say about oh, please, it? Please, yes. He said, it's almost as bad as Rear Window. <laughs> <laughs> you little shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> A left-handed compliment if I ever heard one. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's so funny. I would love to hang out and talk with Orson Welles, but I am sure I would end up angry and irritated. Maybe, but you'd also – if you hung out with him four times, I bet he'd tell you his opinion on the film and every single time it would be different of the same film. Yeah, very possible. Completely different. Very possible. And fascinating every yeah, time. Absolutely. Every time you'd be totally convinced. Yep, that he felt this way about the film. Yeah. Uh, it did have two uh, Oscar nominations for art director and sound. It did not win. It didn't make a whole lot of money. It broke even. But in comparison to all the other Hitchcock films, really of his whole career and particularly of this era, yeah. this is a failure. Yeah, and there's this slow build. And then you get to this point where, you know, there's the British Film Institute list of the greatest films ever made. And this is the list that uh, Citizen Kane had topped f- since the 60s, mm-hmm. mid-60s, I think. And suddenly it it wasn't even on the list for a long time. Right. And then it first appeared on the list in 88. And in 1988, it was, I think, number seven. Uh-huh. And two years ago, it was named number one. Yeah. Bullshit. But whatever. Well, it's funny. I was looking. I looked at the AFI list. It's number sixty-one on the AFI list. Ooh. I think that's low. I think it should be higher than that. Agreed. But it's not the number one film ever made. Um, and 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 here and we've had, I think, a fantastic conversation. Yeah. That was deep and interesting and profound. And I was excited to, to so much to talk about about this film. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it should be number one. I agree. It's my favorite Hitchcock film. It's mine too. That's for sure. But uh, this side of thirty-nine steps. But. Uh, it's not a number one film ever made, no. I mean, just that, look, the dream sequence is cool, but it's also kind of cheesy. And whereas I don't I don't see too much cheesiness in Kane ever. Kane is still my number one ever made. I think. Or Arabia, for God's sakes. I think, um, I think Vertigo is a great film. I think Citizen Kane is so groundbreaking in so many ways. Mm. Like you can, there's so much technique, there's so much performance, there's so much structurally that's dynamic. Every scene has interesting things to learn from, and that's not what this is. Mm. I mean, the sequences of Jimmy Stewart following her in a car 
are really well done. Yeah, yeah. But there's not like you go like, oh my God, I can't believe that right. this is happening, which is happening in almost every single scene of Citizen Kane. Agreed. I don't – and there's a reason like when you're talking about the number one, it has to have something that it says about film mm-hmm. in a way that – Citizen King does and Vertigo doesn't, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, which is meant no disrespect. Like out of the thousands and thousands of movies out there, I think this is in the top 50, if not the top 30. Yeah. But it's not the number one yeah. for me. I agree. Um, we've gone a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have final thoughts on Vertigo? Yeah. Uh, here's what I would say about Vertigo. It's still an eminently... Uh, I'm trying not to sound too posh about this shit. Uh, I want to be honest. It's a film that is still every time re, re, you re, you watch it or rewatch it, it unsettles you all over again because this is America's sweetheart and Jimmy Stewart playing and showing you the ugly underbelly of what man's obsession can be with women and how it can manifest itself in ways that are incredibly ugly. But it also shows you how gullible people can be or how uh, – I don't know, how man can be, I guess, in situations like this when it comes to a beautiful woman. How easily manipulated and twisted they can get by the situation because they make allowances that they wouldn't make for other people or other women. And it shows throughout the whole movie. I also think Hitchcock makes a great statement about the obsessive nature of love, how it yeah. violates all um, – Norms, social norms or uh, courtesies or all that jazz because your desire to follow your heart uh, overwhelms your logic in every shape, uh, every way, shape and form in this movie. And in the end, what you what you walk away from is not feeling great about any of them. But what you walk away from is feeling like um, you've been shown something that maybe you only whispered to yourself at 3 a.m. in the morning or maybe whispered it with your buddies late at night, and then you see it now on the screen in full-blown fashion, and you have to reckon with it. And I love that about this movie. And, and the and as a last thing, all the performances are incredible yeah. and and so fantastic to watch. And this is what I became my obsession with Kim Novak. Ironically, enough, sure, almost like not like Jimmy Stewart. I hope you wouldn't her. try to change it. No, no, no. More a matter of like this is an incredibly beautiful woman and. Uh, like it's Marilyn Monroe and then Kim Novak for me from wow. that time in terms sure. of the gorgeousness and the talent. Um, so for me, what I've been thinking about is that there was a, there was a, so I reread that Hitchcock Truffaut book. Uh-huh. And one of the things that he said that I really liked Hitchcock was that he thinks this stuff that he gets into murder and espionage and spies and lies and violence and all those things are funny mm. is that they're fun. Is that it's fun to explore the idea of what if I'm married to a spy or what if everyone thinks I'm a spy or what if we murder someone and put them in this chest or what if I get the secret information and everyone's trying to kill me or what if my neighbors are actually a murderer and there is – it is threatening. It is dealing with dark stuff but it's always kind of fun in its way. Even when you go to the motel and a serial killer murders a woman in a a shower which is – really scary mm-hmm. but it's also scary in the way that horror movies are fun this movie is not fun no this movie is 
taking those Hitchcockian elements and his craftsmanship and then kind of leading you to believe, oh, this is going to be a suspense story about a guy trying to kill his wife or a woman that's trying to kill herself or a possession by a person, a spirit from the past. Mm. And then it's not that at all. And it is and – is, and it's like the first time you watch it, you might go like, oh, it's a mystery and oh, what an interesting twist that she was really the girl. Mm-hmm. But then if you watch it more, you're like, oh, this is hard and upsetting. And then we get to exactly what you said, which is the, the way that we construct what we can fall in love with and obsession and mm-hmm. control. And really instead of the violence that people normally do to each other in Hitchcock films, which is kind of fun and thrilling – it's the psychological violence that real humans do to each other out of love, out of desire, mm-hmm. out of obsession. And those things are not fun. It is not fun to watch him try to dress her. It is not fun to watch him force her to have the certain kind of hair. It is not fun to watch Midge follow him around or make the portrait or hate herself for her treatment. of None of that stuff is fun. And for me, thinking of where it leaves Jimmy Stewart and we have different opinions about what's happening at the end. I am haunted by that image of him standing on that balcony because it ends before I know what happens to him. Mm -hmm. And I use my imagination to go, what happens to him is not going to be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is what we think about Vertigo. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. We'd love to hear what you think about Hitchcock as well. Come visit us on our Facebook page. Just do a search for The Cinephiles. Subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube or Stitcher or all those other places. Please leave comments, leave reviews. Um, If you want to suggest a film or listen to our new just about to be launched Patreon uh, Cinephile Shorts, we're going to do 10 or 15 minutes uh, conversations about films. This is only exclusive to Patreon. You have to pledge $3 and above to hear them a month. You have to spend $5 above to actually make a pick. And we would love to see you come on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. As always, you can reach me at srmorris. And now you can reach me at srmorris1 on Instagram. So srmorris on Twitter, srmorris1 on Instagram. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. Talk film with me. If you've never seen Vertigo, send me a tweet. Send me a thing. If you've seen it for a million times and then we offer you something new or something interesting to think about, reach out. Do it on Instagram or on Twitter. I'm always open to have a fun discussion about movies And I hope you enjoyed our discussion about Vertigo, and I hope you're enjoying our month of Hitchcock. Yes. Which you requested multiple times for the last three years. Um, So thank you very much for tuning in to the month of Hitchcock, and I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles.